0: This evening, we're moving into the third and final speech of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy in our series, Not by Bread Alone. And this speech is in chapters 29 and 30. And it recapitulates in miniature form the covenant structure of the entire book of Deuteronomy. Moses' aim in this speech is the same as his aim throughout the book. And that aim is simple. It is to encourage and exhort the Israelites. Remember, they're standing on the edge of the promised land about to enter in to this gift that God is giving to them. It's to encourage and exhort them to choose to follow Yahweh, to follow their God, to live by the stipulations of this new covenant relationship that they are entering into by virtue of God's rescue of Israel from Egypt. So that's what he wants. That's his desire for for them, to live faithfully. Now, we'll consider the choice that is before Israel, because they have a choice. They can either choose to live faithfully or they can choose to walk in disobedience. And we're going to consider that more uh, closely next week as we get to the end of chapter 30, the end of this third speech, the height of the rhetoric, one of the most well-known passages in the book where Moses focuses in on this choice. But today, before we get to that, I want to consider a problem that is raised in the third speech. And this problem encourages us to, in a sense, jump up a bit and look at the broader view. The broader view of what's going on in uh, Deuteronomy and in God's purposes with his people for the sake of the world. The problem is simple. It's Israel's repeated failure as God's covenant people to live out the stipulations of the covenant. I mean, again and again, Israel is falling on their face and not choosing to walk in obedience. And yet, given that this covenant with Israel was meant to be the means by which God would actually bless the world, he calls Abraham and makes him his own. And Abraham is the father of this nation and says that through you, I'll I'll bless all the nations of the earth. But Israel was called in that vocation to bear the light of God to the world. And if you remember earlier in Deuteronomy, you may not, but earlier in Deuteronomy, there is a section where Uh, Moses talks about the pagan nations seeing the nearness of God to Israel and the beauty of the laws that he's given to them and just overwhelmed and noticing how wonderful this God actually is. So that the purposes of God to bless the world are in some ways hanging in the balance with Israel's response to the covenant. So what is a problem for Israel? Their own disobedience is also seems to be at least a problem for God himself. How will his purposes continue If the people of the covenant seem to be so deeply broken. So, what we want to do this evening is consider this problem. First, just to kind of look at it and say, okay, this is there, and, and name it a little bit more, and recognize that it's a problem that isn't exclusive to Israel, it's a problem we all face. And then, secondly, we want to look at the solution to the problem that Moses gives in this speech, which is the solution that we all need in many ways even though this was written so long ago and then lastly we want to look at the ramifications of that solution for our lives so that's the approach that we're going to take and stay with me because this is some some of this is is biblical theology uh, which is a fancy way of saying how scripture connects to scripture Um, but we'll I hope this will be helpful as we think about our own lives because we are God's people today uh, living in God's land the earth so, first, the, the reality of the problem. Um, again and again in Deuteronomy, Moses reminds God's people of their rebellion. So, chapter one, they go see this, the spies go into the land, they see the giants, and they're like, Look, we're not going in there. We don't stand a chance. And God says, We'll go take the land. And they say, No. And so, Moses recounts at the earliest, in the earliest, the first speech, Their rebellion in that speech it says you know your 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 uh, forefathers were rebellious and uh, stubborn then in chapter 9 as he's speaking to the people remember you're standing on the edge of the promised land he says you are a stubborn and rebellious people don't you dare think that you're getting into this land because you're somehow more righteous than anybody else the reality is you're pretty awful and you've been awful since the day that I knew you sorry this is really what he says to them so I'm not exaggerating you can go read chapter 9 and he recounts, just to show them how awful they are, he recounts the golden calf incident from Exodus 32 and just kind of rubs that in their noses a little bit. And then he says, even in, in chapter 90, he mentions four other specific instances of their severe rebellion against the Lord uh, as a way of saying, look, this is, not, this is not great. Now, remember, he's doing this, he's recounting their past failures for a rhetorical purpose. Uh, he wants them to obey. So this is in many ways, like, say, say that, you know, you and your spouse have some kind of big event coming up this weekend. And so you're, you go over to your spouse and you say, okay, honey, you're, you're always late. Remember the first day of our kid's school when you were late? And remember our flight we we're supposed to catch back to, from Europe back to the States when you were late? And remember our wedding rehearsal? Just don't be late this time. You know, recounting this list. Now, um, you're using past failures to try to affect change in the future. To be clear, in Mandy's and my marriage, this is Mandy speaking to me and not the other way around. I have the issue, um, lest I was misleading. So Moses reminds Israel of their past stubbornness and rebellion in order to encourage them to follow a new path. And yet, all the while he's doing this, it seems that there's this darker cloud hovering over Israel's story that Moses is fully aware of. Moses gets to this point in, in, in chapter 10 where he says... Uh, He urges them to make this change. He says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. That's his point. That's the point of Deuteronomy. Live this way and find life. Don't be stubborn anymore. Make a change. But there is this cloud hanging over, and that cloud becomes very explicit in the opening lines of this third speech that Moses is giving to articulate the problem. Moses knows that past performance is the best indicator of future performance, if you will. And he's aware of that as he's beginning this final speech. He talks in verses, uh, in, in chapter 28 before this speech, about the, the movement into exile, the movement into to, to the curses of the covenant. Blessings if you obey, cursings curses if you disobey. And he sort of paints that picture, this, will, this, this is what will happen. But when you get to chapter 29... If you continue on, well, we'll see that in a moment. He actually says, this, this is going to happen to you. But there's an interesting, um, and, and that happens in, in, at the beginning of chapter 30, when he says, all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you today. So in other words, yes, you're bad, and I want you to live differently. And there's a, this, isn't a, this isn't a joke. You know? Moses is really wants them to live differently. But he still seems to say, but somehow, you're, you're not going to be able to do it. So in verse 4 of this opening speech, he says something that's quite interesting about this. He says, uh, but to this day, up to now, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Back in two verses earlier, Moses says, you know, you've seen all that the Lord did. Two verses later, he says, "But, but the Lord hasn't given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. They're seeing, but they're not really seeing. My senior year in college, I took an art history class to better connect with my, at the time, fiancé, who was an art major, uh, Mandy. And uh, sitting down in that class with Professor McCarthy, uh, the first sentence that he gave us in class was, we think we see just because our eyes are open. And his point, obviously, from the perspective of an artist, was that having your eyes open isn't good enough doesn't really mean that you're seeing the beauty that there is to see in this work of art likewise Moses from a spiritual perspective from the perspective of faith is saying to Israel yeah you've seen these things that the Lord has done but you're not really seeing everything that there is to see from the eyes of faith and in the spiritual world so he's saying you don't have what you need What, what do they need Those three things in in verse 4. A heart to understand. In Deuteronomy, what that means is they they would understand that Yahweh alone is God. That's the whole point of Deuteronomy in many ways. As Moses is reminding them, of all the things that God has done so that they will know that he is God and there is no other God and any other God that tries to take your allegiance and promises you great, wonderful things just serve me is just an imposter. That's a heart to understand. Eyes to see, in this case, are... Eyes to see the the provision that God has given to you in your life. Remember back in chapter 8, they're going through the wilderness and, and God provides for them the manna and their clothes don't wear out. And it's not just eyes to see what God has provided, but it's eyes to see what God has provided that then lead you to trust in that provision in the present and in the future. It's pointing us to trust, eyes to see, and ears to hear don't just listen to these words let them go in one ear and out the other but ears to hear is really about obedience it's about responding to God in action and following him and that's what they don't have Moses says they need faith is a shorthand summary of these three things right exclusive worship allegiance that's what faith is trust handing your life over entrusting your life to someone that's what faith is and obedience saying that this one is God, this one is Lord, and following him with all of your life. I would submit to you that these three things mentioned in verse 4 are really a robust and biblical understanding of what faith really is. And Moses says you're missing that. That's the problem. You don't have this. In order to live as God's people under God's rule, in order to succeed in the promised land, you, you need this in your life. But you're missing it. And and it's interesting because in verse 4 he says that the Lord has not given you this yet. To this day, you don't have what you need. Which isn't, I want to submit to you, a way of undermining the importance of Israel's own responsibility with what God has charged them with in his law, in the words. But it is to say something deeper which is to say that in order to live the life that we're called to live as the people of God, the only way this can be lived is through the divine gift. It's only through God and his priority and grace and mercy that we can begin to live the life that he calls us to live, which is a life of freedom and flourishing and well-being that he calls us into. The New Testament speaks no differently. It actually picks this up quite explicitly. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's a gift that God gives to his children. So the real problem isn't just the rebelliousness and the stubbornness of Israel, but it's that they lack the very thing that they need in order to live this life that God is calling them to live. They were still bound. They were still in Adam, if you will. And that the vehicle that God was going to use to bless the world was no different than the rest of the lump of the world. They were still bound in sin. They were still unable, if you will, to be able to live the life that God had called them to. And so the law that God was giving to them, as good as it was, if you hear shades of Paul here, this is where I'm coming out of Romans, but as good as the law was, as holy as it was, as beautiful as it was, The law couldn't affect this change inside of them. It only pointed, in a sense, more deeply to their need. So Moses sees all of this. Somehow, in the spirit, as he's writing these words, he sees that Israel isn't going to be able to make this work, and he kind of guides us through this rebellion and exile. But then he takes us to a solution out of the problem because thanks be to god the story doesn't end there it doesn't end there for israel and it doesn't end there for us disobedience doesn't ever get the last word god is not just going to sit back and be dependent upon the stubbornness and rebellion and the weakness of his covenant partner for his purposes to be accomplished in the world and moses points us to this in chapter 30 as this speech moves forward he moves to say that there's a promise that God's compassion, out of his compassion and grace and mercy, that God will bring a new future that is possible out of the rubble of Israel's past failure and subsequent exile. God will act to ensure that his covenant intentions for Israel and through Israel for the world, for the renewal of the world, will actually come to pass and be fulfilled. There is indeed a human response that needs to be held in balance with this divine initiative that we see in the first 10 10, uh, verses of chapter 30 in numerous places. And these verses do reflect the biblical reality that that human side is required. It isn't just a token thing. But the verses very clearly show us that God's action takes priority or precedence, that it is where the weight, if you will, is placed throughout the biblical witness for our hope, Not our response, but God's initiative and God's action. And at the heart of this promise is this verse in verse 6 of chapter 30, which says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Did you catch that then? What was commanded in chapter 10, circumcise your hearts, is now given or or granted as a promise. It's promised to Israel in chapter 30. God will circumcise your heart. Without in any way, biblically speaking, we uphold this, without in any way invalidating the importance of the call to obedience that is in many ways the book of Deuteronomy, this future grace and compassion and action of God is ultimately the object of Deuteronomy's, of Israel's, and of our great hope. That one day God will do something to effect a change in the hearts of his covenant people that they desperately need. One day, long into the future, God will act to renew his covenant, to bring his people back from exile, to forgive them of their sins, to give them a new heart and faith that they might walk with him that's what, is this hope comes up again in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, this new covenant hope reappears. So Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. That's heart circumcision from Deuteronomy 30, right into Je- Jeremiah 31. Or right into Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. A new heart. A new ability to walk with God as his covenant people. To fulfill the law that he has given. Out of the heart. By the spirit. That's the promise. That's the solution. Is God's engagement and initiative. In this broken situation. With the problem. And as Israel's history plays out. It follows the path of Deuteronomy 29 and 30. Some blessing. Then curse. Then exile. And then as we get to the period right before Jesus enters the picture, this is Second Temple Judaism, all of the Jewish groups and writings were living in one central narrative that was marked by these words of Moses in Deuteronomy 30. They were waiting. They were waiting for God to intervene, for God to act, for God to move, for God to bring about this long-promised solution. They didn't agree. There were factions. They didn't agree on how God would do that. But they did agree on the basic notes in the song, on the basic themes in the narrative, that they were waiting for God to act. In Qumran, the Qumran community, in other texts, in the Pharisees, 4 Ezra, 2 Baruch, all of these texts point to the same narrative, waiting for God to enter into the scene. And then he does. They just didn't recognize it in the person of Jesus. This is so beautiful because the solution that Moses points to to the deep problem of Israel's own in Adam humanity they were bound by sin the solution that god gives is radical it's surprising it's upside down it's beautiful and it's effective deeply effective in walks jesus and then as the new testament proclaims In no uncertain terms, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and the subsequent outpouring of the Spirit is very clearly the fulfillment of the promise that was hoped for from Deuteronomy 30. That one day God would come back and he'd make things right and he'd give us a new heart and we would be able then out of that new heart, this is I'm moving in from solution now to ramifications, to walk with God as his children. So, that verse 6 in Deuteronomy 30, he says, He'll circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. That you may live. This is the gift of God to you, to me, to everyone. And it's open and offered to all, to the weak and the weary. To the proud and the arrogant. To the conflicted and the confused. To the mentally ill. To the psychologically disturbed. To the Jew. To the non-Jew. The grace that God offers in Christ. The heart circumcision that God offers us in Christ. Doesn't discriminate based on ethnicity. Or age. Or sex. Or pedigree. Or wealth. Or nation. Or anything. But he gives this gift through faith not in a way that takes takes anything away from grace, because faith itself is the gift of God, as we've seen. This faith that God gives always includes our repentance. It includes humbling ourselves before the Lord, our forsaking of all other gods, our returning to and trusting in the God who made us, our obedience to Jesus as Lord. And as this happens in us, as this work of grace that Moses longs for, happens in us as god's grace moves upon us we're born again by the spirit we become circumcised in the heart by the spirit our sins are forgiven we are rescued out of the in adam humanity that israel was enslaved in and we are bound with christ into a new branch of humanity the in christ kind of humanity that is no longer enslaved to sin and subject to its biddings, but is now enslaved to righteousness and is free and able by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a new life. A life that fulfills the intentions of God way back in Deuteronomy, that he gives to his children these laws that they might live and flourish and be fully alive and fully human. God gives us this gift. Romans 8, Paul says, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. We can fulfill what God was giving through Moses to his people. Which is summarized by Jesus as loving God and loving neighbor. We can begin to walk in this new way. The ramifications of God's action Moses clearly says are to fulfill the requirements of the law. To love God with all our heart and with all our soul. So as I bring this to a close, let me say this is hugely important to declare in the church today. I know that we struggle in sin, with sin. I know that we struggle with idolatry. I know that we struggle with really loving God. I know that these are realities in all of our lives in one way or another. But we must, if we are to be faithful to the biblical witness, we must declare in the church and be encouraged by, don't just declare, but be encouraged by the fact that we are new creatures in Christ. We are not on this side of God's covenant renewing action, of God's heart circumcising action. We're on this side. We're not at the edge of Moab. God has not to this day not given us this gift. We're on the other side. God has given you and me the gift of faith. We have a heart to understand. We have eyes to see. We have ears to hear. And we're now free in the power of God's spirit to live out that gift in our daily lives, day in and day out. And we should be encouraged by the fact that we are indwelt by God's Spirit. And yet, let me say this yet, because this is important. Though these are already present-day realities, the fact that you are a new creature in Christ is not up for debate. It's not. That is a reality. And yet, there is an already-not-yet nature to that reality. We are still growing from immaturity, to maturity. We are still walking into the fullness of who God has made us in his son. If that were not the case, the New Testament mostly wouldn't exist because a lot of the New Testament is urging the people of God to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that's on their lives, to live as worthy citizens of the gospel. It's urging us to embrace the reality that has been done to us by faith in Christ and begin to walk that out but we're on a journey. We're in a process and we're moving forward day by day in that process, in a battle and in a struggle. And sometimes in the battle and in the struggle, you and I feel just like wayward Israel of the Old Testament. We identify, don't we, with the grumbling in the wilderness and missing the meat pots from Egypt and so on and so forth. We identify with that. So in the midst of the struggle, as the new covenant people, you have a new heart. The call from The New Testament is to take up the practices that enable us to tap back into the gift that God has given to us in Christ. Such as reading scripture, prayer, the Christian community gathered around us, or the sacraments. Take these things up in order that you might be reaffirmed in the gift that God has given, strengthened in your identity as a follower of Jesus, a part of his new covenant people now able to be a light to the world. And these things that I mentioned, scripture, prayer, the community sacraments, teach us our own dependency. They teach us our own weakness. They teach us how to root our lives again in the gift in God himself. So just as Moses' ultimate hope, as we're seeing tonight in Deuteronomy, was not ultimately in Israel's response, so also our ultimate hope as the New Testament people of God, on the other side, Of this great action is not even in our response, though it is enabled by the Spirit. But our great hope is in the one who gives us the gift. That's where our hope lies. It's in His amazing grace and His amazing love. You should be encouraged to walk out of this place tonight as God's new covenant people. You should be reminded of your new identity and your new heart. But what should encourage you most? is the fact of a God who is gracious and loving and merciful and kind, who will pick you up every time that you fall down, who will put his arms around you every time that you need his encouragement and his comfort, and who will put and has put his spirit in you in order to empower you to walk out of the sin that you're bound up in. You're not subject to slavery to that anymore. And to begin to live a new life, of holiness and righteousness, of loving God from your whole, with your whole heart because this God wholeheartedly loves you. That's Moses' ultimate hope in Deuteronomy. And I want us as a people to live into that hope more and more in our daily lives in Boston in the 21st century. Amen.